I may never have this opportunity again, like these, this kind of success, so to speak, if I don't capitalize it and get into fifth gear as soon as possible. And then if I'm not relentless about it, then I will absolutely, I already know I, I would regret it. So I decided, you know, you have to start eliminating things that aren't necessarily that fun or making you money or, you know, income producing activities or making me smarter in the NFT world. And that's exactly what we're doing. Addition by subtraction. Okay, so so Rich, I, I'm really looking forward to today's episode because NFT skyrocketing in terms of Google search trend, you can't go anywhere. We have mutual friends who've done really well as creators and also investors, and I've been slow to get on the NFT train. One is because there's a lot of negative downsides to this, but I also don't want to be the guy who has to explain to his grandchildren when one day they're like, Grandpappy, where were you in the big NFT gold rush? And I'm like, Shenny boy, you know, uh, I missed out because I was like too slow to get on this one. Exactly. And like have that be one of my biggest regrets. Okay. So I know some wonderful things have ha happened also in your life recently in the change of direction with your content, everything, your world is exploding in every dimension. Yeah. So I can't wait to get into today's conversation. And so for Rich, for people who don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rich Cardona, I am. Uh, I own a media company called Rich Cardona Media. Uh, I have. I had a podcast called The Leadership Locker, which Chris was on, but I, I terminated that after 200 episodes because my new podcast, NFTs for Newbies, went absolutely ballistic. And... Um, you know, I am a podcaster. I, I thought I was a video guy and I do love that, but I love having conversations just like this. Um, and I'm also a retired Marine who worked at Amazon for a couple of years before I quit and jumped into this creative life. And I'm so glad I never settled because the outlook is very bright. Mm. And you and I, you and I have had many conversations about your business, how to service people, whether you should position yourself as a, as a veteran and a, now it's like those conversations seem kind of moot at this point, right? Uh, it's or not so, yet. No, it's, it's, it's so important to recognize the opportunity um, yeah. when it presents itself. And all I can tell you is, although those things are part of my overall identity, being a podcaster, being a veteran, um, an aspiring entrepreneur, you know, at 40, whatever years old, um, when this started to happen and we started to see like, it wasn't a flat line anymore. We said, we got to go to two episodes per week. And then we got to three episodes per week. And then all of a sudden it's just like absolutely crazy. So then we're all in, we're in YouTube, we're in this, we're doing that, we're doing sponsorships. And even though that's not, it's so unknown to so many people, I didn't feel self-conscious at all because I made it very clear from the beginning that I wasn't an expert. And to a lot of people, a lot of business coaches, they might say, you need to niche down. Like you need to wear, you know, know what you know and, and go all in there. Right. But this made complete sense to me. And I have had zero like confusion about running towards it. And and I'm just very fortunate um, to have recognized it and just gone, gone all in. Okay. So uh, I don't want to make any assumptions in our audience as to whether or not they know who you are. So for this to, to make a lot of sense, we need some context here. So let's talk about the business that you 
had and had run for for a number of years. Yes. Give us the the macro view of that. Tell us a little bit more about the podcast where you did 200 episodes on. Sure. So that they can understand like when an opportunity presents itself, it's not always clear, but you have to be clear and and decisive in when you move. Absolutely. So you're you're walking away from some things. It's not just like you're starting out from zero. Yes. Um, It kind of started when I quit my job and, and I, that was the first time where I would actually I could say this now, like reflected. And I was like, what am I curious about? I started dabbling in photography. I was like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> started doing some videography. I'm like, I'm decent. Um, I started editing. And then next thing I know, um, I'm just like, you know what? I really, really just want to talk to people. Um, I, I got in front of like someone who influenced me very highly, uh, you know, Gary V. And then I was like, okay, like, let me really, really take content seriously. But the only content I truly enjoyed making, Chris, was was kind of the podcasting. Um, but that wasn't like something I felt I had social proof enough to do business business on. My personal brand and personal branding and showing up authentically on camera was something I could do very well. And I felt like I could coach people. So ultimately, it led me to doing video production, doing this kind of show up and shoot model where I would go out to uh, Santa Monica, I'd see Chris who had no creative anything. I'd spend half a day with you and you would leave I'd leave and then get started on about 40 something uh, clips of LinkedIn content or Instagram content. So that way uh, you didn't have to worry about it. And you had someone there who could coach you and make you very, very comfortable. That was the business. Eventually, the podcast that I was doing, the Leadership Blocker, it started gaining really good traction. Some of the guests I had allowed me to get bigger guests and bigger guests. And I was really fortunate to have people like you on who are educating entrepreneurs who were probably at that middle stage of their life. From there, that was the first time I was able to monetize. I was like, wow, I have an amazing audience for these couple companies. Let me reach out. It was like a no brainer for them. So now I'm like, okay, everything's working. Everything's working. And then this NFT thing just came out of nowhere. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Before you, I don't want to get to that part just yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, I think you said you used to work at Amazon, right? Yes. What did you do at Amazon? Operations. I was an operations operations manager. Did you enjoy that? No. The first day I got there, I knew I was in the wrong place. Okay. And how long did you last at Amazon? Two years. Okay. So it took you a while, even though you knew the first day wasn't right for you. My financial advisor pleaded with me to stay for four years and I just, I just, I couldn't do it. Tell me what that conversation was like with your financial advisor. (sighs) This can make a significant impact on your future, essentially. You know, just the the way the stock, the amount that could uh, that could vest. You know, the way the stock was going up, the increases in salary, all the perks. But Chris and anyone listening, you know, I was in a warehouse fourteen to sixteen hours a day. I never got to see my newborn. I was acting out of character, like, you know, drinking excessively and just spending money really frivolously, and I was just so completely unhappy. And, um, I just realized like a lot of entrepreneurs do, there's so much more and you recognize that somehow there's just this potential inside of you to do something else. And at that point, I just decided like, I can't do this anymore. And I kind of walked off the plank, which I don't suggest, but you can't go to bed knowing there's more. It's the worst feeling on earth. The worst. So it sounds to me like you're kind of self-medicating and escaping your day job through, alcohol and through buying stuff yeah. just to like get through it. 
essentially. Like, this is not my life. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was all band-aids, all of it. Yeah. And, and I know this about you, you're a family man. So the financial consequences, tell me what that looked like in your mind in that moment, like to walk away from a good job uh, that is a, in a fast growing company with a lot of upside potential. It, um, it was the ultimate relief, believe it or not. Um, oh. I, f- I felt tied to no one. And even though as a 38 year old man with an MBA, who was a retired Marine and had worked at a, v- the most well-known company on earth, arguably yeah, living in that basement, I was just like, I had supreme confidence that I would find my way. I just, I just did. Um, because at least I was in the driver's seat now. And that just is like, I don't want to say an empowering feeling, but the upside, as you know, in entrepreneurship is limitless. And I was like, I will figure this out. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, somehow Chris, I was able to really put up a wall from my mind venturing out into that world where you think everyone's talking about you or people are making posts about you or people are like, dude, what is rich doing? Like, right. I didn't care at all. I, I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of things here. And we're going to get to the NFT and the, the the pivot. What was the conversation at the dinner table like with your wife? You're like, okay, I have a responsibility. I'm a provider, but I need to walk away from this and walk from something that's very well known and just step into the, the abyss, the complete unknown. What was that conversation like? Well, I am the luckiest man on earth because she said she was actually the one who's like, I think it's time to go. Mm. And what I had been doing, this is probably the most important thing I could say on this entire podcast is I had buried that, that, that even the option of leaving in my mind, because I was like, how am I ever going to present that to her? So what I did was I was a very high performer at work. I was so obsessive about work and I did really well, even though I hated it because that was like the only thing, like if I could achieve results, at least that made me feel something, but it was her who could see all these changes. My behavior had totally just, it was just dramatic. I don't even like that person thinking about that person. And she's like, I think it's time to go. So she's actually the one who kind of gave me permission and knowing that she was going to be supportive at that level. I knew I was in good hands, which, you know, if you're not in that situation, that conversation is going to be really tough. But um, long term, I knew she was looking out for me. There's uh, there's a bunch of things here to highlight. And I say this to my young friends out there. You said you're the luckiest man in the world, but I don't think it's luck because you chose your partner in life and, and you made a very smart decision back in the day. Someone who, who looked out for your best interest, who was going to be your partner in crime for life. Yes. Someone who's going to potentially be the, the, the mother or, your, or the father to your children. Yes. This is a really important big decision. A lot of people don't think about it like that. They think, I'm going to have fun with this person. The, it's a, a lot of passionate, uh, romantic affair and it's great, mm-hmm. but they don't really think about this. I say to, to young people, probably the biggest and most important decision in, in your life is going to be who you wind up being a partner with. You don't need to get married, but whoever it is you attach your your wagon to, it's a critical thing because this person saw in you and gave you permission to do something that you had buried away, right? Yes. And there's something remarkable about the the people in, in, in military service that I, I know. I'm not saying everyone's like that, but your sense of duty. It's like, you know what? This is not a job I look forward to, but I will do the best of my, to, to the best of my ability and and make the sacrifices I have to make 
for a greater good. Mm. And so she saw this in you and she said, you know what? I think it's time for you to change. How did that feel for you in that moment when you heard those words? Oh man, I, I, I it just, I'm not a person who practices gratitude. Like I just don't outwardly or explicitly focus on that. At that moment, I was probably the most grateful person on the planet because what really happened after that was this, I, uh, since that day, Chris, like I've every day that passes, I'm like the best version of myself. It's like, it's mm -hmm. just like this trend. I'm just like running towards self-improvement, including reading, you know, I, I never would have read your book if, if like that didn't happen. I'm telling you, like, I'm telling you, I never would have read your book or anyone's book, going to the gym, getting up crazy early, you know, going to bed out of having a routine. Like I always want to be the best version of myself. And I had lost that. Like, it was in the abyss. So ever mm. since then, it kind of was like a spark. And then now I'm just obsessive about winning and actually more importantly, kind of leading as an example for my family, be like, look at what can happen. Like we were just in a basement a couple of years ago. Now we're in this beautiful home in Wilmington, you know, like it, it can work. So that's how it felt. I was, it was gratitude. Mm. And then it just ignited me. We had a, a guy on our podcast before, his name is Kyle, and he, he served hard time in prison and he's uh, most wanted on, uh, in, man in Hawaii for a period of time. And he now goes to speak to young people and he comes out in an orange jumpsuit because he's got tattoos and he's got his handcuffs and he walks out there and he says, you know, this is who I am and you're one, one bad decision away from being where I'm at right now. <sighs> one bad decision. And the opposite is totally true too as a testament to you, an idea that I've been sharing with people is like you're one decision away from your life changing for the better yes. for, for you to, to get joy, to be loved, to be successful, to achieve whatever it is that you want. It starts with that just very innocently, that first step. And it's a chain reaction as you talked about. Yes. So I love hearing this. This is wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Okay. Now what years is that you, you, you uh, re resigned from Amazon and you venture off into your own business? June 2018, and I didn't have my first client till March 2019. It was just kind of wow, tooling around and trying to figure things out. And that was an okay. accident. <laughs> <laughs> that is a long time from June to March. Yes. Okay. What was going on in your mind? Like in those times when you're like, I need a client, I need to make money. It was, it was very strange. Um, I don't want to say I took advantage of the situation. Um, you know, living where I lived, I, I thought it was only going to be a couple months. It ended up being more like six months, but I, I guess I was doing a couple freelance gigs. I had no idea what I was doing video work wise, but I had some connections at VaynerMedia that I knew. I started making free content for these people. I was like, I, Gary's helped me, so to speak. So I'm going to help the people around him. So that was really the key. Because these people were like, he's coming up here on a train eight hours away from Virginia to New York City to film me at this panel and make content for me. I was literally just experimenting. And these people would just, anytime they had a conversation with anyone who mentioned LinkedIn or I don't do well on Instagram, they'd be like, oh, you got to talk to Rich. And again, like now I'm like 39. It's like you think of a, a guy in a beanie and a, a graphic tee or whatever and these kind of videographers with a gimbal. And it's just like me, like <laughs> totally different. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're like the 40 year old uh, intern. To totally. Yeah. Okay. But they could see the maturity. They could see the yeah. work ethic, I believe. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they felt very comfortable. They knew I wasn't trying to pull anything over on them. And uh, ultimately, like some of those gigs just finally added up to 
um, someone approaching me being like, I really need someone to take care of my LinkedIn content full time. And then that just kind of kickstarted it. But yeah, I mean, all it was, I don't want to say it was networking. I think free work gets a bad rap. Yeah. Just, just build free work so you could get the paid work because these people, you know, if you do a good enough job on that free trial, so to speak, then they might hire you. Then they might tell you to uh, talk to you to, about, about you to someone else. They might give you a testimonial. They might give you a LinkedIn recommendation. That's how it started. I just, it's called collecting the dots and then connecting the dots. Mm, I like that. You've mentioned Gary's name twice now and we're, and I think he plays a big part in the story that we're about to have. But you said you had a relationship or something with Gary? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, I, since that day, again, where I quit, I have no fear of approaching people who have inspired me, which is why I ended up sitting directly across from you at the future headquarters and, and hanging out and interviewing you. Same thing with Gary. Same thing with some of these other people. And I, that's going to mm-hmm. happen with Jimmy Fallon and The Rock one day. I guarantee, mark my words, Chris. So <laughs> I um, believe you. the reason is... It's, it's, I, I don't have a fear about that. Like I, that's truly try, me trying to express my gratitude. It's not about the FaceTime. It's not about me thinking in some way I'm going to be best friends with these people. It's literally like the first two minutes are always thank you. Um, and, and then I just interview them. So Gary, I've had the opportunity I just tried to always give back. So when the situations have presented themselves where I could talk to someone on his staff and be like, hey, Veterans Day is coming up, blah, 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 you know, whatever angle I want to use, I will get that 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half hour him with him one on one, which is like something people would consider priceless. Um, but, you know, it's just a way to say thank you. Um, and I take care of the people around him who I know have no content. That guy has content for the next two centuries. People around him, right. not so much. So that's part of how I, um, you know, really try and give back to people, serve the people around them. And then, you know, they kind of know I'm good to go. And I don't do it just to do it. I'm very interested. In, like when I, I forget, I'm sorry who the person was at your office, but she was incredibly cool, super kind. She's been with you for such a You're long time. Monica? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, that's, it makes sense. It's a way for me to validate that I'm following the right person who I believe has influenced me. And that's why I do it. So yeah, um, the impact has been huge. And he's given me on four different occasions time to just sit with him and give him an update on my life. And um, it's huge. So you're talking about uh, offering to uh, feature him on a podcast or a video or something? Is this how your relationship begins with him? Um, I mean, he says, it's just to him, it's just another meeting. Uh, for me, it's giving back to my audience. Uh, but yeah, I'll feature, I've featured his COO, his chief heart officer on my podcast, things like that, or I've just offered to make them content. So yeah. I see. Mm, mm. Interesting strategy. So you talked about a couple of different things, um, regardless of where you are in life, if you're a 19 year old person or you're 39 is to, to, to leverage a strategic kind of thing where you're going to help the people that you admire and look up to and no money is being exchanged, but then you're building on a relationship, but you have a plan. It's not, I need to do free work for the rest of my life. I need to do something to give value to others so I can get on their radar. And and it is uh, an act of generosity, mm-hmm. right? Where you're genuinely trying to help them and in, in potentially build, uh, build relationships with people. Absolutely. And let me say one other thing, Chris, and I know you know this to be true because of Mo. Try and be someone's case study. 
if someone does all the things that you're preaching about on Instagram or on your clubhouse rooms or in the future pro group, you recognize that like you can't, you can't avert your eyes because you're proud of that person. You know, it's not narcissistic. You just know some formulas that these people don't. So if you try and become a case study to some of these people that you look up to and you're able to demonstrate, Hey, Gary, by the way, I am actually one of those people who moved in, quit my job, moved in, downsized, and here I am. And it's just like, he's like, this is way better than money, he said to me. This is way better than any money could ever amount to. This is what yeah. I love. And and there you go. When you say moved in and downsized, you're talking about moving with your in-laws or your parents? Or? Yep. Yeah, with my in-laws when I quit. Yep. With your in-laws. Yeah. Uh, did that affect you at all in terms of like, man, this is kind of embarrassing, but we got to <laughs> move in and downsize. Yes. I mean, <laughs> dude, yes. Like, there's no way around it. I, I mean, yeah. I, I just I just knew, though, this was just one of those things. Like, I could take these two steps back because I think it's going to leap me 10, 10, 10 steps forward. And, and that's exactly yeah. what happened. But yes, I did not like relying on anybody. Trust me, that was a gut check. But I did yeah. the best I could and been, was as cordial as possible for as long as possible. I had a roof yeah. over my head and just got, just got to be happy about that. Do you attribute that decision also to things that Gary Vaynerchuk has said, where he's like, you know, downsize, reduce, cut it all down so that, no? No, no. Like I, I didn't like blindly like listen to that and go do it. I, it actually just yeah. kind of happened. But w- what I, what I did attribute was not caring what anyone think thought. Yeah. Like anyone who's skeptical or critical of what you're doing, like there's something else going on with them. Right. Period. And I didn't know that for so long until it's just like lightning struck me. And I'm like, I don't care what anyone thinks like this is for me. Like, let me just share this one personal thing. Like I quit drinking alcohol a couple of years ago because I showed up hungover, kind of slightly drunk to a podcast I was doing in person. This is not long oh after gosh. I quit. I was still kind of dealing with that. And the reason was I was back in Austin, Texas, where I used to work and I hung out with Amazon people and all they talked about was Amazon. It triggered me and I was drinking. Mm. That next day, that woman on the podcast said it was the best podcast she's ever been on. (laughs) (laughs) I I was, I was totally freaking out the whole time. I was like, Oh my God. I was freaking out the whole time. She's like, can you come to lunch with my husband and I? I'm like, no. I've never touched uh, anything since. And I'm a Marine. Like I've lost a couple of buddies since then. And I meet up with my buddies every year. And, you know, do you know how hard it is to not? And for some reason, Chris, I'm just telling you, something's come over me where I know what's more important to me. And that is showing up on a daily basis, not foggy and just ready to get after it. And uh, like that never would have happened if I actually had a perception of what other people thought, period. Mm. So you're saying a slightly drunk, hungover rich is a great conversationalist, <laughs> but you had a moment. You had a moment there, right? So that's pretty wild. <laughs> I know. <it's laughs> Maybe ridiculous. you were just so self-conscious that you're on your triple A game. Oh, dude. She, Maybe? I'll never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> so if we were to listen back to that podcast, could we tell that you're a hungover? No. Okay, good. No way. <laughs> all right, all right. So- when you were feeling that, I'm just curious how, how your brain works. Because it sounds like we're very similar in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Did you make yourself a promise? Like, dude, never again. This is freaking, this is not the way. No, it was just, this needs to stop. And I've had that conversation probably a thousand times in my life. Like, this is the okay. last time. Mm-hmm. What happened was, I realized it had been 30 days, then 
then all of a sudden it was like six months. I was like, wow, I can't believe I tied my record because in Afghanistan, you can't drink, you know? So when I was on deployment, no alcohol. And I was like, I'm just going to keep the streak alive. I don't, I'm not craving it. I don't want to smell it. I don't want to buy it. I've been saving a lot more money, not spending on the $13 drink at dinner. And that was it. And now I'm just kind of all in. I'm not saying I never will again, but I feel like a million bucks when I see other people drinking (laughs) and I'm like, cool, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm mapping the timeline here. So you're, you're getting your first client in March, 2019. So this is a relatively recent history. Yes. How does one produce 200 podcast episodes in a very short amount of time? Um, I was relentless about creating as much content as possible. Um, I'm mm-hmm. always testing. I mean, you know, there's methods that you use. I've, I've literally tried to like completely copy, um, you know, some of the things that you've done and other people have done. And you know what? Like, I, I think once you find your own voice, you're not absolutely, you're not completely worried about some of the metrics that we hang on. But for me, I always wanted to test what felt the best to create, what resonated the best uh, with the audience, and what was actually sustainable, okay? Because, you know, when I was kind of a one-man operation without a team, you know, I mean, like, it's a lot of work. I mean, you're, you know, you're manually posting and doing all these different things. So, Uh, I wanted to have as many conversations as possible. Like I said, collect the dots, connect the dots. And it has been incredibly fruitful. And the biggest thing that changed for me, Chris, was I started doing self podcasts. When I, when a couple guests canceled on me because of the pandemic and I was going to go see them, I started doing the solo ones. I was like, how is this doing better than that interview with Patrick Bed David? How is this doing better than this interview with Andy? Like, how is this happening? So I doubled down on that and then it just took off. I, there was a point where I was doing four a week, which is insane, but it was worth it. It was worth it. And you would sit down and write and think about what it is you want to talk about and just, just go solo. No, I just had a note in my notes app uh, on my phone. I just would have something and I, I would kind of riff, but just be very careful not to just riff, but not rant, if that makes sense. And I would put something like, um, you know, I just put a note in my phone, like the difference between desire and ambition. And, and then I would just make sure I sat down and recorded it. I would sit down and talk about how to land your dream podcast guests, like whatever it was entrepreneurship wise that I had experienced in my couple short years, I knew was valuable for the people that were on day one, right? Like, I am not able to put myself in the same light as you, because like, you've been at it forever. You know, so there has to be kind of, you could graduate from people like me and then get to like Chris and whoever, right? But I wanted to be that kind of initial entry point and it worked very well for me. And that's why I was really committed to making so much. I see. All right. So you're doing this, you're doing the podcast, you're running your business, you're producing producing videos for people. And then something weird happens. This is where um, in the hero's journey, this is your call to adventure. Yes. And the Herald comes in and says, Rich, there's something new on the horizon. What was this call to adventure? How did it sound like? So Gary V again, you know, case study um, is one thing. And then investing. I've invested in some of your courses. I admire you. I respect you. Same thing with him. Same thing with a couple other people. But this V friends thing, I was like, this dude's out to lunch. Like, what is he talking about? He wants me to spend $3,000 for this ugly doodle. And that's going to give me an entrance to his conference for the next three years. I was like, I don't think so because I've Mm. gotten time with him that people will never get in their lives. So that was me. And I was like, I have to set up a wallet like crypto, like 
like someone's going to just rob my bank account. Like I'm literally the way my parents are about online banking. My parents are checkbook people. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like I was just like, this is insane. Then my friend Heather's like, I'm getting two. I'm like, okay, whatever. I was like, you're crazy. Well, that was in May. And then I ended up getting a couple little NFTs, not, not V friends. She and I met in uh, August for the first time in person at a podcast conference. She's like, Rich, my V friends are up to $26,000 a piece. So she made a 40,000, uh, essentially something like 40,000 on them. And I'm like, what Purchase is Purchase for three worth for uh, what, 20 something each? Each, yes. So 7X return. Yes. And that's, yeah. and she sold way early. Like she should never have sold. So, right. so we're talking about it. I'm like, why, why did we buy these things? You know, like it's one right. thing to trust the person behind it, but like, why did I get this one that I got? You know, this one called World of Women NFT. I was like, I appreciate the art, but I, I didn't really look into it that much. It was 200 bucks. I'm like, let me just try and do something. So we're at this conference talking about it. She's like, we should just start a podcast because well, I don't know anything. And there's a lot of money going around on this and we might as well just educate ourselves because you're a father, I'm a father, she's a parent. Like the propensity to get on the hype train on this thing is very, very real. And the, um, the, the amount of money you can lose super fast is very, very real as well. So it was kind of just like, just really trying to be accountable for one another, learning on the fly, like literally documenting it and learning. And that's what we did. And I was like, this is the only way I'm going to actually commit to learning because I'm all in my, on my business and the podcast. And then it just became super interesting. And, and then obviously, you know, I had a conversation like a couple months later, but it exploded because adoption is of this, of, of crypto, the knowledge and NFTs is skyrocketing. So there's plenty of newbies just like us who are curious. And that's what happened. Right. So where did the idea of like, let's make a podcast together with, I assume with Heather, right? Mm-hmm. When did that, when was that born and what was the plan? It was born August 9th. Our first, our trailer was August 16th. And our, our trailer was just like, we are going to cure you of your FOMO with our unqualified opinions, we always said. We would literally have two screens. We'd be reading off Investopedia and Forbes and we would be reading things and we would just have fun interpreting it in our own way. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, what do we want to know? What is Ethereum? I have, she didn't even pronounce Ethereum right the first three episodes. We literally have a bad review for that. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like all these different things. So we're like, okay, what is Ethereum? Like, how do I get a wallet? Why do I need a wallet? Every single little question is just how we decided to attack it. And, um, and we just started getting, you know, you know how it is, DMs like, hey, thanks so much. Like, I had no idea what that was. Or, hey, you know, what's the difference between Ethereum and Solana? And all of a sudden, those questions clearly become the content. The market is telling you exactly what they uh, like other people need to hear. So right. it just became super fun. And um, we just kind of dove. Now, look, even though you and I talked not long ago, and I felt like pretty smart after that conversation, like being able to say, you know, give you answers to some of the questions you were asking just generally about the NFT landscape, there's people who are just like been at it for years. So uh, I never, our goal is to never make anyone feel stupid uh, that they can't keep up. It's just, it's moving too fast. And that's our goal is to keep it fun. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you start making these episodes kind of as a curiosity of your own and documenting that kind of like in the way that you were talking about your, your leadership locker podcast, which is I'm still relatively new in business. So I'm here to help so it sounds to me like it's the same person, but just talking about a different topic, same concept. I'm going to bring you up. 
I'm still figuring this out. So no, no one's telling you we're super pros or experts at anything, but you'll learn with us and it's kind of a fun wild ride. and We'll do it together. Right. That's exactly right. I, I mean, mm. it's just fun. There's no pressure. There's literally no pressure because <laughs> like, I could always say, hey, if, if someone understands it a little bit better, send me a DM or, or send me an yeah. email. I mean, no pressure. It's fun. And I mean, even though the leadership locker was along the same lines as far as style, um, I did feel a little bit more, I don't know, like like I really had to deliver something, you know, like very, very tangible. This is a little bit different. It's more about having fun and educating at the same time so people don't run away. Yeah. How many episodes in are you now? We are at uh, 30, I believe 31 episodes. Okay. 31 episodes and you are no longer doing the leadership locker. And why is that? I'm all in on this. And uh, I shared this with you. Mm -hmm. We did 100,000 downloads in the first 100 days. 17 days later, we had 200,000 downloads. Um, We have a YouTube expert who is a partner of ours on our YouTube channel. Um, We have our Discord. We have everything set up to just dive in completely and build a community of people who are unafraid to kind of learn about these things. So I cannot tell you how strange it was for me to talk to my team about all these plans for this kind of subsequent podcast that I was going to have and just be like, oh, by the way, that's out the window. But you have to run at the opportunity, like I said at the very beginning. So these kinds of numbers the ability to sponsor, the ability to go talk to people who have massive projects. You know, you it was impossible to ignore. And, and let me just say this. I may never have this opportunity again, like these, this kind of success, so to speak. So if I don't capitalize it and get into fifth gear as soon as possible, and, and, and if I'm not relentless about it, then I will absolutely, I already know I, w- I would regret it. So I decided, you know, you have to start eliminating things that aren't necessarily that fun or making you money or you know, income producing activities are making me smarter in the NFT world. And that's exactly what we're doing. Addition by subtraction. Mm. Let's just do a comparison per episode download at the height of uh, the leadership locker. How many downloads are you getting per episode in a month? I I, I do. um, The highest I ever had was uh, a 50,000 download month on the leadership locker. Per episode or cumulative for the cumulative for one month. We okay. did 50,000 downloads this week. Um, but like, for example, your episode, I think that did like five, 5,100 downloads or something like that. Um, you know, our top episodes here, one of them has 20,000, for example. So okay. the trajectory... So they range. Yeah, they range. But the trajectory for this is, it is the most beautiful thing. I love to look at like the peaks, <laughs> the, the peaks. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just insane. So, um, but that was, and by the way, that 50,000 download month I'm talking about, I put money behind ads. This has been all organic. <laughs> right. This has been completely organic. Right. So you're talking about in the first 100 days, you're you're doubling your best ever performance from the previous podcast. <laughs> yeah, that took two, two years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> so I think uh, that's one of those things where they say the writing's on the wall because alarm bells are sounding, lights are flashing. It's telling you this is what you need to do. Yes. Okay. I mean, and then you're, you've got sponsors lined up. Yeah, quickly. You, you, are you the number one podcast for NFTs? Um, I would say we are. Uh, yeah. I just submitted a sponsorship to uh, people who inquired with us. Here, I'm going to tell you. I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to take this opportunity to brag for a second. Go we ahead. are um, in the world. We are the number 813 
in reach of all podcasts that exist. In oh. the U.S., we're number 67. In ed- I'm sorry, U.S., we're number 44 in education. And globally in education, we are number 60. It's, it's crazy. So Huge numbers. Yeah, I mean, I'm very proud of that. And I understand that could change dramatically. But I will tell you this. We... A lot of people have said to me, this is actually very, very important for your audience. A lot of people said, oh, well, you know, the right words and the right subject. And I'm like, it's the right experience. Heather and I have been podcasting for a long time. We, there were periods where we both wanted to quit separately, where our, we had business things, we had all these things. And it was, it was all those times where you're just like, I'm going to continue to do this podcast no matter what. All that culminated into this moment where we're like, we know what signals to look for. We know how to host. We know how short to keep it. We know how to keep people engaged. We know how to engage back with comments on you know, social media. All of that came together, and that's why it's happening. If we were cold, I, I could virtually guarantee you none of this would be happening. Yeah. How is the YouTube videos performing for you? Um, we're only a month in. We had 200 subscribers yesterday. They're okay, but the watch time is starting to go way up, which mm-hmm. is a very good sign because that's what YouTube wants. Um, so yeah. we, I think in the first couple of weeks, we were about a minute and 12 average view duration. Now we're up to about 5.05. Oh, that's a huge jump. Yes, huge jump. We're yeah. really lucky. So Okay, so the reason why I think this is all working on different platforms is because I just randomly was typing in something on Google Trends on NFT and the chart is like, and it just goes up. It just goes up and it's, yeah. it's even higher than it's ever been. And so there's a lot of interest because there's confusion and there's people who need to know certain things about it. So now let's get into the NFT part. Mm-hmm. So for the uninitiated, based on the uh, 31 episodes you produce here, let's get give them the macro understanding of NFT, cryptocurrency, the blockchain, Give us the, the the NFT for dummies part. In the NFT landscape, this is, let me just define what an NFT is in, in the way I understand it, the simplest way. If Chris Doe makes 100 prints of this beautiful art or graphic or whatever it may be, um, you know, that can be repurposed into posters, into whatever. But those 100s, you know, are usually come accompanied with that kind of certificate of authenticity or maybe your signature on it or a note, whatever it may be. At that point, it's kind of scarce, right? Like I obviously would love to be a holder of one of those, but if I don't want to pay $5,000 or $10,000 or whatever it is, I'm cool with something I could just screenshot and put on my desktop wallpaper or something along those lines. Well, the same thing goes on here. A lot of people make fun of NFTs because they believe it's just digital art, that it's just like something on a camera screen. Well, what happens is it's non-fungible. And that's where uh, non-fungible, non-fungible token means it's not able to be replicated. The reason this graphic that Chris decided, I'm not going to do physically anymore, I'm going to do it digitally. The reason it's non-fungible is because there's kind of like this ledger. We Heather and I joke, we imagine this old woman with like this big book and she logs it in, you know, like Chris dropped, minted this, minted means made it public, uh, you know, for purchase. And he minted it and now it's stored in the blockchain forever. The blockchain is essentially a ledger. The big book that that woman's holding is the blockchain. Now it's logged in there and every transaction on that piece of digital art or that NFT is always going to be traceable. That is the difference. So I could take a screenshot of Chris's cool art and I can try and sell it, but that's not going to happen because I could, you know, someone's going to go try and verify and be like, it's not real. Now, the next question is like, okay, but still, why would I pay? 
to ETH or the, the cryptocurrency Ethereum for one of those things. And you and I kind of talked about this and you can cut me off if you need to, but it's not just about the art. It's about the person behind it. Does Chris have a community? And is Chris a good dude? Like, absolutely. Like, of course. So now I'm supporting you. Uh, I like the art. I believe in your community. But the real piece is, what is the utility? Let's just say Chris wanted to start um, some sort of program for, you know, men and women in prison who wanted to learn how to get into design. And that was the purpose. And some of the proceeds were going to go to there. And some of the people who purchase NFTs uh, would have that token would represent the ability to have a one on one with Chris, you know, at some point in the future. It's, it's, it's all about the utility. So it's not just the art. It's the art, the person, the community, and the utility. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to our conversation. Let's talk about this because I've been doing a lot of thinking and there are different analogies that people talk about. So the way that we understand is, um, you know, we think, well, this is not real. Ethereum's not real. NFTs aren't real. But then you stop there because then you ask yourself, what is a $20 bill? That's a piece of paper <laughs> made from hemp, I believe. And we say to each other, this has value. So it's an agreement. So as long as enough people agree, that is a form of currency that we're willing to exchange goods and services for. It has value. So most... Uh, any kind of currency is really built on on trust and an agreement if we all think it has value. Where where m- money gets uh, hit with inflation is because we no longer believe that this has value anymore. 100%. And so you have to accept that part. So if I give you five $20 bills, they're interchangeable, they're fungible. Whereas if I give you a $20 bill with a serial number and my signature on it, it's different for each one, right? So that's what an NFT is. I've been thinking about this a lot. And then people say, well, what is an NFT? It's because you're not actually even getting the art. It's like a treasure map. It, it's a it's of a complicated link to get something. And then, okay, is that worth something? Well, here's the thing. Uh, I was watching a documentary on Netflix about the greatest art heist in, in the history uh, of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And then w- what we say is this painting has value because we believe the authenticity of the artist who made it and their signature, and it becomes a scarce and valuable thing. Therefore, forgeries are not valuable, even though to the untrained, even to the trained eye, 
we cannot discern the differences, but the story that we associate with either of these two paintings, for example, if I said, I'm going to give you an original uh, Picasso or a forgery. You might not be able to tell the difference, but you're going to, which one is the real one? Because that's the one I want. Because not only do I find this to be more valuable, but other people find that to be value, valuable. And then I can exchange this for other things like a mansion in Paris if I wanted to, because it's worth that much. Yep. So the way I see the NFT is that I can sell the same piece of artwork, but I'm not the artist. And what you're really buying is the person's digital signature in the form of, of an NFT to say this is one of one or one of 10, and this is two of 10, but they're not exchangeable. Mm -hmm. do, do I get that right? What you just said really helped me kind of define it in my own head a little bit better than I have been. It is the adoption of an idea, okay? Um, if people decide that V friends or this piece of art is valuable, then that's what changes. Ethereum, don't, which is a, probably the predominant cryptocurrency used to purchase NFTs, it was uh, less than $1,000 a year ago. Now it's at $4,000, sometimes $4,600. And the only reason is because it's being utilized so often. It's like a cell. If you think of a cell phone, I, and I joked about this, I used to have a T-Mobile sidekick, so I'm dating myself. When iPhones came out, they were cool, but a lot of people were like, what? As soon as it starts getting adopted more and more, all of a sudden these things have value. And of course they could charge $1,500 for a new iPhone. Well, NFTs are the same way. If people are looking at the landscape of NFTs or a certain project, it's the people who are adopting an idea that increases the value. And the, the crazy part about this whole thing is that it's not only NFTs that are increasing in value, but Ethereum is increasing along the way too. Do you know, so it's like a you're double dipping essentially. Um, so we are making the decision to add value to this, although in reality it could absolutely mean nothing. <laughs> but right. uh, the yeah, the utilization of Ethereum is the quickest adopted um, form of technology ever, second only to Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is actually scarce because there's only 21 million of them. Ethereum is just going to continue to be adopted. And then here we are, all of a sudden, you're going to be using an NFT to get into football games. So so the adoption, I think, is uh, the adoption of an idea, the adoption of uh, art and people suggesting that this is a big piece of art and that it is worth this much money is, is really what I see going on more than anything. Mm. So I know that the, there are people who make fun of folks who, who pay a lot of money for an NFT where the only real utility is it's a JPEG and they, they can't fully understand it. But it's not that different than you running out and buying a Ferrari or buying a Fendi bag because it's about status. Yes. It's about saying to other people and to yourself, I can afford it, I'm successful, and I've done things in my life. So what people I'm seeing people do now is they, they get one of those bored ape things and then they change their avatar because yes. the people who know, like, oh my God, that person has the one that's worth $50,000, $200,000, and that's their avatar, right? Yes. So yes. Twitter <laughs> Twitter is rolling out a program where if you change your avatar to an NFT, you could actually connect your wallet, your crypto wallet, to Twitter, so that way it's verified. So you know you're a big oh. deal. You're a big deal yeah. if you got a blue check mark, you know, because I know it's the real Christo, the real Kevin right. Hart or whatever. But now they're just like, not like, and this is a real crypto punk. It's not just someone who changed it. It's you 
nailed it. It's about the status. It is just literally a flex, okay, at this point. And and one way I heard it put is, an, is this is an amazing analogy. If I went to your house, Chris, you might have some cool art and things, but there's probably not a lot of foot traffic in your house, right, of all the things that you're kind of proud of. This is a little bit different. If you have a crypto wallet, which is visible to the public, it could be like, oh, Chris is down with this artist and this artist, and wow, he's got a collab with so-and-so, like, wow, he's really into pop culture. Like, wow, like this is just incredible art. I, I see what he's about. He's not about the pixelated crypto punk style. He's about this style. Um, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like your culture It's demonstrating your culture. And then I think that's the direction we're going. But yeah, when Twitter did that, I was like something like Steph Curry changed his picture after he bought a board ape. Jay-Z has a crypto punk. He changed his picture. I was like, wow, this is really about status. So I could say I roll with those dudes too. I'm one of 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I want to get into the Gary Vaynerchuk model, which is adding a layer of utility above the NFT, the artwork itself. But before I do that, I would love for you to tackle some of the criticism of NFTs and, and, and cryptocurrency and the blockchain itself. So what? why are people not happy about what's happening right now? And how do you reconcile that? I think anytime we are unhappy about something, it's because we don't understand it that or we inherently understand it like something like racism right like we we know it to be wrong and we have a very you know sharp reaction to some of those things but when it's something like this when it involves money when it involves seeing people make a ton of money on it when it becomes when it involves people losing a ton of money on it it just seems uh like this very volatile world uh that you could see that the world is kind of heading and you're trying to be one of the people who are like, we don't need to go that direction. And I was joking earlier about my parents and their checkbook, but Chris, like they make me feel like I'm the smartest dude on earth when I'm able to reset one of their email passwords. It's like crazy, you know, because they didn't adopt. So this is actually real in my opinion. And I've never been on the front side of anything, but I am starting to see um, that is being adopted, obviously, but that the metaverse, people are buying land in the metaverse, which is insane. And that Web 3.0 is all about how businesses can be creative. Now, that being said, like, where is the resistance? I mean, there's a lot of resistance on the individual level, but now you're starting to see Budweiser, Adidas, Nike start to do these major, major collabs. And these are the people that we buy from regularly. These are the people who you would go and buy a pair of Air Jordans from at a ridiculous price. Now they're saying, you're not only going to buy our physical products at a ridiculous price, you're going to buy some of our NFT collabs at a ridiculous price because this is going to get you into the 2028 Olympics because that's how it's going. So the criticism is simply by not knowing. And even after you educate yourself, of course you have the right and, and, and the ability to just avert yourself if you want. But I think we're heading in this direction. And let me say one thing about the crypto part, because uh, you asked that as well. The whole point of cryptocurrency is decentralized finance, not having a middleman. If I want to buy um, a home for something, I doubt this will happen, or maybe it'll happen, and I have bad credit, no bank's going to talk to me. But if I have, if the lender or the person who's selling the house accepts Ethereum and I happen to have 400 ETH and I could buy this house, then it's the fastest, most ridiculous, quick transaction. It's all about speeding up the process and eliminating the middleman. And that's why people are so behind it because it's kind of like an F you to the man. Like, no, you know what? We're going to do it our own way. And, and that's, a, that's another reason is people feel like they're a little bit more in control. 
Yeah, but that also means that there's uh, greater opportunities, oddly enough, for it to be manipulated by really <sighs> big players, right? Yes, yes. Yes, of we can see that. Like when China says we're not, we're not going to allow uh, Bitcoin to be accepted, that took a nosedive. Yes. And then Elon Musk, because of pressures from people saying that it's horrible for the environment and he's creating a company built on improving the conditions of the environment. He, ex- he stopped accepting Bitcoin and then it went down again. And so the market can move really yes. wild swings because it, it is now susceptible to individual players who have enough clout or enough money to move the entire market. And you're susceptible to that as a smaller player, right? A thousand percent. Um, yeah. there's, there's these things called decentralized uh, autonomous organizations. I, I believe it's autonomous. So DAOs. Right. It's just, you know, group of people who put a pot of money in together and they just make big purchases, sweep the floors, sweeping the floors of a project is just basically buying all the ones that are left or anything like that. And I saw the most ridiculous article on how DAOs are going to start fighting political players in the future because they're going to have so much money together, um, you know, these people, and they're going to start competing with those people who have old money and big money. And I was just like, I can't even imagine where it's going, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's susceptible. Mm-hmm. You're talking about like now individuals can can combine their resources to become powerful lobbyists and to manipulate the political uh, scene itself. Whereas before it's like all old money, dark rooms. We don't know what's going on. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. Right. Let me bring up like a huge criticism that I can't reconcile myself right now, which is the immense computational power and energy that's being used to to have this public ledger work out all these mining of, of coins so that we can confirm that this is who you say it is. So I read some crazy stat that said that bit uh, with a cryptocurrency and, and mining draws and uses more energy than all cars use on earth combined something outrageous. And I believe it is true because these are very computationally intensive operations that draw massive amounts of power generate a tremendous amount of heat and are horribly inefficient because whenever a transaction happens, I guess it's called gas fees. You pay the gas fees because a bunch of people are trying to calculate this and whatever system rewards whoever gets the right answer first, right? So the first 50 or the first 100 answers, but then that means there's a ton of extra horsepower being used that never make any money that use a tremendous amount of power. So what are your thoughts on the ecological damage that cryptocurrency and the blockchain is causing. So I'm going to be super transparent and say like, this is somewhere where I'm trying to improve my knowledge base as well. I understand some of what you said to be true, but I've also heard arguments that the actual environmental effect is completely negligible. Here's how I imagine it. I imagine when I am going to buy an NFT and I see the gas fees, let's just say the NFT is $200 and the gas fees $200 $200 as well. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I imagine right. all, I, I imagine Heather and I joke, there's all these dudes in their basement with like boxes of pizza and their games around them or whatever. And they're just like typing away, like trying to compete to, to be a cheap gas fee for you. I have no concept of the actual energy output. Like it is imaginary to me, you know? And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, who am I going to call if a transaction doesn't go wrong? Like this is the part that probably has those very acute reactions to cryptocurrency and NFTs is because who are you going to call when someone doesn't deliver on the smart contract? It's, it's, it's it, nobody like there, there's nothing you could do. Like who are you going to call when someone robs your crypto wallet because you didn't uh, have it on a cold storage ledger? I, 
no idea. So the same thing when it comes to the environmental thing, I'm just not sure we all actually know what's happening. I, I believe what a lot of what you said to be true, but the verdict is still out on how much it's actually taking. I've heard, like I said, it's negligible, but I could be completely wrong. Yeah, I, the, the, the things I've read online uh, by credible sources, mm-hmm. it's not negligible, it's massive. But wow. the counter argument that people in the crypto space make is everything at the beginning is horribly inefficient and, and over time because we will make it work. But to deny that this is moving in this direction is to, to say that, you know, I don't believe in the internet or something. Yeah. So there's there is an um, there's a massive environmental toll. There is also this thing that why gas fees are what they are because and they're only going to go up mm-hmm. because from what I understand is the system whatever uh, the blockchain rewards whoever gets the answers right, right mm-hmm. by giving them uh, like cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and offsetting the cost of the gas fees, but there's only so much that can be mined. It's becoming more and more expensive to mine. Sure. And 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 tokens or, or coins are becoming rarer so that now the gas fees are going to be ridiculous and the whole system itself is going to collapse because it can't sustain itself. So maybe technology will save us. I don't know. Maybe. Here's all I could say on that is uh, we have a sponsor on our show uh, who use the Solana blockchain and there's no gas fees. I mean, there's nothing. And then Gary V, as a matter of fact, he's doing this thing with his project and they have what's called a mutable X, which is going to eliminate gas fees. I'm like, how are you going to do that? It's a layer on top of Ethereum. I have no idea how they're doing it, but I believe everything you're talking about, that's kind of like the next thing that's going to be extremely lucrative. Whoever can figure that out. Just like Amazon figured out two-day shipping, whoever can figure out how to eliminate gas fees and to make it environmentally more safe is going to be the big, big winners in this game. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to Gary Vee. And then I, I need to run some ideas by you because um, <laughs> I'm kind of excited about what the potential looks like. So Gary Vee adds a layer of utility because let's face it, I'm, I'm trying to say this as, as politely as possible, <laughs> but the artwork sucks. Yes. Star Wars terrible. It, yes. It's like, please, Gary, you could have hired someone on Fiverr to do better. But the point of it is not the artwork itself. It's That's right. the, what it means. You're essentially paying $3,000 for a digital ticket, which gives you access. So now the NFT is really a digital ticket that proves yes. that you own it, that can't yes. be forged, uh, that can't be uh, manipulated somehow because there's a ledger that shows that you indeed own this access, right? Correct. So tell me about this idea, this concept in the macro level and then specifically with Gary? Yeah. So on the macro level, it is about him and other people like him creating their own intellectual property and, and not being susceptible to kind of, a, I would say, the traditional traditional business. Like this is all him collecting everything. Again, no middlemen, no nothing. Now, the reason it's working is because you know, these are very lofty ideas. There's one There's one NFT called a gift goat. I forget how many of them there are. I don't know, maybe let's just call it 100 uh, out of his 10,000. And the gift goat, they get a gift from Gary like every six months. So they, they showed the first release and it was this amazing piece of art that he signed on the back. They showed him in this Brooklyn dude's apartment and it was like real creepy, you know how he is. And then they sent him out and it's like, okay, there's this one called podcast podcast parrot or something like that. And they get a podcast with him, Hangout Hawk. That's one-on-one time with him. So he is, here's, here's something I've learned in business 
very recently that I, I love. And it is um, a model about revenue, um, which suggests that once the transaction between Chris and I is over, I'm relieved that Chris purchased from me and I just need to like keep him happy. Well, the thing that keeps Chris happy is if I continue to bring new things to the table over and over. And over. So his idea, which is a lot of people's idea is starting to catch on is like, I cannot in any way, shape or form limit it to this digital whatever or a ticket to this game. I have to do airdrops of uh, unique Halloween themed uh, things that people can uh, Halloween NFTs that I could sell. Uh, I need to give people one on one access to me. I need people to be uh, able to come to this conference. Uh, you know, all these different all these different, uh, you know, access in the Discord channel uh, for all these kind of private things. So accessibility is a huge one, but that is the premise of the model. So there's layers. Like I have a core V friend, which is it's it's all, it's called Reliable Rat. Like I don't really get anything except like praying it continues to go up in value, and I get to go to VCon three years in a row if I want. But there was one I think with that night we talked sold for two hundred sixty thousand dollars. I forget which one it was. It's one of the ultra rare ones. Two hundred sixty thousand dollars. Now, here's the downside of it all. Some of those people with gift goats are like, dude, you know, like I'm turning down offers for $100,000. Like, what kind of gift are you going to give me that's going to equate to that? You know, like, you better send me a Tesla. Right. <laughs> like, now well, it's you like, can't, right? exactly. So, like, that's, that's like the downside. Like, it's a double edged sword. Like, you have to be able to bring it. But at the same time, like, what happens if those things climb in value and it's out of control? So, well, you have to make hard decisions. Is it worth getting the gift every six months of like a piece of art, quote unquote, yeah. signed by Gary? Or yeah. does it make more sense to put a down payment on a house? Mm -hmm. Or in some instances, buy a whole house altogether. Yep. And, and that is actually now out of Gary's control, I believe. Sure. Because the value of your NFT art has far exceeded the initial value of the transaction. Yes. And it's questionable what the initial value was anyways, but... Now it's a whole different realm. Yep. Because now you're in the hands of speculators, right? Exactly right. And yeah. uh, let me, I, I want to give you an example. Tom Bilyeu, uh, who I highly respect, and and I believe in him a lot as well. He had uh, what's called a founder's key launch. And you know what? It didn't sell out. And you know what the mint price was? Pretty freaking high. And, what was it? Um, like one E, three, like there's three layers, but there was like, I think the middle one was five ETH, 10 ETH for the top one. And then the middle, I don't even remember, but 10 now, ETH, that's like, uh, yeah. what is that, 40 grand? Uh, some, yeah, for the legendary key. Yeah, something yeah. along those lines. Okay. Now, and they didn't sell out. Okay. The floor price on some of these is like 0.1 for okay, some of okay, these. Okay, hold on. You're using terms I do not know. When you say floor price, oh, what sure. does that mean? Uh, eBay, if you go on eBay and you look for uh, a microphone, uh, you could. You just, if you select the buy now price, it'll just, you know what I mean? Like that's yep. what it is. So the lowest buy now price on a project on, you know, a, a platform where you could buy it. So OpenSea is a predominant platform. The the floor price, meaning the lowest price anyone's buying uh, is selling it for is 0.1. And that's not a good sign, right? Like, like if it minted, oh, if, you know what I mean? So he actually yeah. did um, a, a kind of refund call with, uh, he had a call and on his Discord, he's like, if you want a refund, you'll get a refund. This is long game. Like, I'm going to make all this right. Like, this is a 10 year play. Wow. But that's, that's kind of like the kiss of death if you're if you're not someone with kind of clout that he has. And who knows if he's going to be able to make it right. But what happens if you're on that project? Ooh. Exactly. So it's, it, this it was, is tricky now. Okay, it, everybody, we need to kind of just stop. <laughs> Rewind the tape. <laughs> we need to listen to this part again because we want to explain something here, okay? Gary's 
uh, NFT project has done well. They're increasing the value for how long we don't know. Yep. But Tom, who's released this thing where he initially set the price, let's say 10 Ethereum, has now dropped significantly lower. And so that means the people who who bought this thing, uh, Tom is saying, I'll do right by you instead of uh, just cashing in and, and using the money you gave me. I will give you a refund for anybody that wants it. This is like really upside down now because mm-hmm. there are all kinds of things that are happening behind the scenes because you bought something that ultimately has no value anymore. The marketplace decided it wasn't like, no, yeah. if, if no, if people are trying to flip one of the mid-tier ones from three ETH to five ETH and no one's biting, now all of a sudden this, this is, this is the short-term people. They're like, well, once it dips, well, if they see the, if they have something that they're trying to sell for five ETH and all of a sudden they see the floor price, that lowest buy now price for 2.5, then they're like, well, there's no way anyone's going to buy it from me for three or five. So right. I guess I'm going to have to go down And All of a sudden, as we creatives know, that yes. race to the bottom is ugly. And, and, yeah. and that's where we're at in some projects. Well, this is all about perception and perception is reality. So when you see it head south, it it, it triggers people to do a fire sale. Yes. It's not uh, um, exclusive to NFTs. It's just how the market works. Any stock that starts moving south, you have a bad news, bad earnings call. People start liquidating. And once it starts liquidating, it's hard to reverse it, right? Except for in the time in which the, the company buys back that stock builds the company up and then puts it back in the market and then they're able to move it back up, which sounds kind of like what Tom is trying to do. Yes. But like, if you can buy it for 0.1, why would anybody buy it for anything else? Exactly. It makes no sense whatsoever. Exactly. And then right. it makes you question, why would I even pay 0.1 for it? Cause that's still real money. <laughs> exactly. Right. But I'm yeah. holding, I got some, I'm telling, I'm, I'm holding on to mine. Uh, I, I believe, and here's one thing he did, which I thought was amazing. Uh, he was like, anyone who has any of the keys is going to get a year access to Impact Theory University. I had been through uh, some Impact Theory University, his thing uh, back in the day. And it's excellent. It's excellent. Like the value is huge. So I'm like, that's great. At least, at least someone's trying, right? Like, you know, you're all in or you're not all in. Like anyone can yeah. easily just shut it down and be like, hey, it didn't work out. See you later. Not, not them. So the word of warning to anybody to buying an NFT, it's only as good as the person who's releasing or minting the NFT. How long have they been doing this? What are they for? Are they going to do a cash grab? I believe it's called a rug pull. Mm-hmm. When, when when a celebrity drops an NFT, people buy it and then they're out and they don't support it and it's done and then it goes into the gutter, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, like uh, there's a lot of musicians and, you know, guys in the Logan Paul camp, like all those guys could hype up each other's releases, bump up that mint price and then be on their way out as soon as like it falls, you know, and just be like, hey, cool. It doesn't matter. Like it's everything on the mint price. Well, that initial sale, let's just call it like this. 5,000, I'm going to make 5,000 NFTs for 25 or $250. If I sell out of those, that's a million dollars. I could literally do nothing after that and just sit on collecting royalties, but it doesn't matter. I made that quick buck. So it's easy for artists to really hype up each other's projects, even though there's probably no long-term roadmap and it's really cool at the time. And space happens to be, you know, space any animal happens to be trending right now and then that's it. And then you're all of a sudden stuck with this Logan Paul NFT. You're like, why do I have this? Like, he's not planning on doing anything with this. This dude's trying to box. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. even matter. So anyway, um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a really interesting, it, it's, it's an interesting space. Well, I want to talk about the dark side before we get into the bright side one, one more time here. So the dark side is this. I, I'm, as, as you as you may know, I love comic books. And, yes. Uh, it, it, there's a special emotional 
connection that I have with comic books, the artists and the art and everything about it. So in the 90s, comics, for whatever reason, caught the attention of investors and speculators uh, that it's going to be valuable. And Image Comics burst on the scene and did whatever it needed to do to capture all this excitement. So when I went to Comic-Con in the 90s, it, it was like lines around the building, just circling for an hour and a half just to get an autograph from Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, or Jim Lee. And comics were selling in the million copies, whereas wow. before a 30,000 print run is like a sizable amount of comics. And comics, in theory, have some uh, exchange value in that as they perish, that your what you have becomes more and more scarce. Yes, Right. Some get damaged, some are lost, some are thrown away, some are opened and mishandled. But now all this money came in, new publishers popped up on the scene, really crappy books were released, hollow variant, uh, <laughs> all kinds of weird covers and, and <laughs> different bags, variant covers. It was ridiculous. And I, I, I got into that, not because I thought it was valuable, but because I wanted that comic. And now that comic should have been $2 is selling for $25. Like, what the heck? Yes. So speculators do ruin a market. Yes. And NFTs are mostly speculators, <laughs> is it not? 90, 90, high 90s percent of projects are going to completely fail because this there is no barrier to entry. Like, no, yeah. Chris, we can make an NFT right now. Like a clip from this video, I could screen record this and put it and put it out as <laughs> NFT. There's no barrier to entry. So the like the supply is like essentially endless. All these versions of like essentially it's kind of like you're talking about comic books. Like all of a sudden it's not really scarce. And the people who actually appreciate some of these things, um, you know, aren't going to get anything. Like Beeple, the, the one artist who made that $69 million sale, that was his life's work. I would argue he yeah. deserves that. And then there could be someone, some 13-year-old kid, and I'm not hating on this kid, who was able to get, um, you know, uh, do some algorithm where he can make a bunch of designs of uh, a dog and who's wearing glasses and has lasers coming out of his eyes and a different background. And all of a sudden, he's blowing up with, you know, absolutely no intent to be any kind of creative. I mean, it's it's really, really hard to kind of digest. Um, so, yes, I would say there's a lot of speculators. And I would also say that there's a... I'm down on almost all my NFTs and I'm okay with that because I'm getting educated in the process, but the majority of projects are going to fail for the exact reasons you mentioned, uh, you know, that kind of like flood of comic books and, and just the numbers went up and up and up. Yeah. When you say you're down on most of your NFTs, meaning the value of the NFT is less than what you paid for it initially. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Which ones are holding value for you right now? Uh, there's one, uh, two, oh, well, three, uh, V Friends. Then there's this one collaboration, uh, World of Women NFT. They, they just happen to be a blue chip. They exploded. They absolutely have beautiful art, amazing community. That one is one I talked to you about on the phone. That was my very first NFT. Uh, I, I got it for 200 something dollars and $70 gas because I did it on a Saturday morning like an idiot. <laughs> and then like... Um, now I'm getting offers upwards of uh, like two ETH for it, like consistently, consistently. And I'm like, no, nope, I'm like holding. Grand. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so like right around eight grand. So, yeah. so I'm very happy, but I'm just, I try not to look at it. I'm just like, I'll just one day, 
Uh, and the other one is a collab I had. Uh, it's Boss Beauties, and they collaborated with Marvel uh, again. There's, a, there's. I, I will just say this. This is just an observation. There's some really, really heavy hitting female projects, and I don't mean to just kind of isolate females, but it's just kind of good to see because, like, when you enter into the space, you might just be like, it's all about animals, it's all about apes, it's all about punks, and all of a sudden you're seeing like really special, different women-led art, and then you read their biographies, and you're like, this is special uh but anyway those are the only three that are winning right now but uh the rest are just kind of like uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you this is very volatile i don't want anyone listening to this episode and saying i'm gonna run out and buy an nft please don't yep. high probability you're gonna lose you're gonna lose money and you have to do your homework i have a buddy his name is david and he's been deeply immersed in these nft conversations on clubhouse and on twitter spaces he's there at three in the morning. I'm like, and he's a family man. So I asked him, how are you doing? He says, oh, I, I can't tell you the numbers. I, I think it's private, but he's up 4X of what he would be making right now. And it's a whole, because he's like, you know, I got burned on a couple of them. And now you, you really have to spend your time learning about the artists and the community and if they're in it for the long haul. But all of this turns around tomorrow when one person starts to decide I'm dumping all my NFTs yep. and it starts to chain reaction. It's really hard to stop that. It really is. And then you're stuck holding a roadmap. You're holding the signature. One thing about what you just said, which I know to be true, which is I'm a family man. Yeah. I am not. I refuse to be in discords at 1 a.m. or Twitter space at 3 a.m. But those people, I will say... There are some people who live, eat, and breathe it, and those people are, are way up. You know, they've been able yeah. to make good relationships. I know a guy who owns a hundred of this certain project, and now he's working for that project. He quit his full-time job, and he's doing very, very well. But I'm not in a position to do that. I don't want to do that. But yeah, I mean, like, if you really want to quote-unquote win, you literally have to just do nothing else. Yeah. The, the, the closest the equivalent I can think of that might make sense for people is people who take this very seriously are day trading, I think, penny stocks. Some of them work. Most of them are garbage. Yeah, is that exactly. about right, Rich? Yeah, I, I would agree. I would absolutely okay. agree. <laughs> so very volatile, very dangerous, everybody. Please do your homework. You're going to have to look into this. Now, I'm not sure this part's going to make it on the air, but I have you here and I want to talk about it in case my producer, Greg, thinks like this, this needs to be part of the conversation. Sure. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, Gary Vaynerchuk was able to do, I think, $80 million in a relatively short period of time selling NFTs. And he's going to have to live up to those commitments and whether they have value intrinsically to anybody that remains to be seen. But here, here's what I'm thinking. Um, I have been in very early discussions with taking on investor capital. And I keep thinking, I don't want to give up my freedom. Yeah, I want to run the ship the way I want. I don't want to have earnings reports. I don't want to see now we can't release this video because it needs to be a course because it's not good for earnings. But I also think about how I can and scale and accelerate what it is that I want to do. And so I just had this idea in my mind uh, because I've always wanted to build a design compound where artists uh, speakers, educators, influencers can come and share their knowledge with a very small, intimate group of people. But you need land, you need a space for where people can stay. Like there's this artist in residence program. There's a there's a theater. There's a place for us to learn, collaborate, create content together. And it's going to be slow going because I have to kind of earn money every year, put some aside, earn some money. I want to build this community, and it's an extension of what we're doing 
in the pro group on YouTube, on Instagram and elsewhere on the clubhouse. It's just a physical echo of that idea. So I'm thinking, should I sell NFTs to raise money to build this kind of like, I guess, Soho house, but for creatives? So I, I equate it to like the X-Men, like the school of the gifted, right? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, like you're, you're doing that. I would say 1 million percent. Yes. And here's why you have enormous social proof. You, your mission is very clear. This is not new. And I think what's lacking in this community is people who kind of come, I would say, from maybe the traditional design or art space to kind of infiltrate some of the nonsense that's going on to stand out. You have an issue with Gary's artwork. You don't have an issue with the people you would collaborate with or their artwork, right? But then on the backside of it, there's very, very big utility. You guys align on that at least. But now all of a sudden, it's like a two for one. Like I'm not only getting good art, but I know he's been about this forever. He has a massive following. And if you really, from what I know about you and your organization, if you really want to put these people in a position to win or turn help people become the creatives they want to be or creatives who you do that for a living, then it'll happen. And this is absolutely probably a vehicle that is going to be much more fun than if you ever took on any money from anyone else. That and uh, it doesn't limit the amount of projects. Like you could literally do a test project, maybe probably raise $2 million considering, you know, the fo- all, your entire following and then be like, cool, we'll do another one next year. And all those tokens, uh, the non-fungible tokens or the NFTs, all those mean something. It means you are going to uh, be able to come out and have access to our first symposium where we're going to kind of discuss how we're going to build this school, what everyone needs, why everyone wants that, how things are changing. I mean... It to me is, I think I said this um, when you kind of mentioned this, it's a no brainer. It's a, I could, if, if you and I did the same exact project, I would probably make nothing and you would probably put a lot of people in a position to win. Like (laughs) real in real world. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about that, but then I also want to ask you this uh, to get your insight on something else. So here's where I'm sitting. I have had the privilege of getting to know and work with some of the most amazing artists from my 20 plus years making commercials and music videos, 3D artists, illustrators, uh, people from all corners of the internet, some famous and some you never heard of before. So I think I, I, I want to, I want to be a patron of their work, but I need a vehicle for this. I also know people in the fashion space and I am a a lover of fashion and Mm -hmm. certain kinds of like street street style and street wear. Mm-hmm. And if we can just bring the artists and these really boutique fashion people together and use NFTs to propel everyone's career and just like to be able to get one of 20 really super cool handbags or a sweatshirt that it's just, that's it. We're releasing that only to people who get, who have that NFT are, are going to be able to get this thing. Yep. I, I want to bring all those worlds together to have physical and digital avatars that are connected through NFTs. That excites me a lot. Renewing the value prop uh, because you know it's not limited to you. It's limited to your network, which seems to be kind of infinitely, infinitely talented is an incredible reason to get behind anything you would do. If I were if I were someone who was starting to hear about your project and starting to learn about you, I'd be like, wait a second. 
I mean, and and trust me, there are that is that is what's happening in some industries. That's what I mean. That's when uh, Nike partnered with Artifacts, and I think it was I forget who Bored Apes and Adidas. Like Nike was kind of like, oh, hold my beer, like watch this, and I'm just like, wow. Like all of a sudden, it's like you could get gifted these sneakers. Like it's exactly what you said. Um, so the the ability for you to collaborate, and and I will say this about the NFT community: it's not all bad, of course, but the collaborations are so unique. You are starting to see people you never thought would collaborate on all really special projects together. Number one, and two, the community, the people. <laughs> there's this phrase: if you ever see on Twitter, WGMI or WAGMI in all caps. I was like, what the hell does that even mean? And it's, it means we all going to make it. And it's so, <laughs> it is like so funny, but I am like, again, this goes back to adoption. People want it to win. People want this kind of life to win and this kind of uh, asset to win. Um, you know, same thing here. If you are going to, especially Chris, for you as being kind of the centerpiece, if you are the one who learns how to develop these projects and how to, um, launch these projects or mint and do all these things. And if I'm a designer, I'm like running to you, like, dude, I know you like these, uh, karate pants. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let, let's do I this. Do, by the way. I know I saw that tweet, but I'd be like, yes. Hey, let's do this right around Christmas time. Cause we know yeah. it's getting cold in Cali. You know, I mean like, dude, like forget <laughs> it, forget it. So yeah, right. absolutely. It's, it's a very, very, very collaborative space. Okay. I've never done this before on a podcast. If you have a strong opinion on the opinions of, or if you have a strong opinion about the ideas we've been sharing, I'd love to hear from you on Twitter. I'm at the Chris Doe. Rich, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, at, or it's rich.eth for ETH. That's like, <laughs> I fell into the <laughs> okay, trap wait, of like, say that one more time. rich.eth. E-T-H. You are all uh, in on this. Look at yes, this. absolutely. And I, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a picture of a rat, so that's me. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'd love to hear from you. And the last question I want to ask you is this. How do I avoid the fate of Tom? Because I see us as both content creators, communities, teaching, interviewing people. But how do I avoid that? Under, under promise over deliver. Um. I, like I said, I really, really respect him and I believe he's going to win long term. But the promises on the front side were enormous. When you are a big personality in the entrepreneurial space like him and look, by the way, in another universe, in an alternate universe, I just saw Spider-Man, Gary V friends could be a complete flop. A million percent, it could be a complete flop. It happened to blow up. So when someone who's close to him and in a similar space and, and they are going to make all these promises as well, um, you just don't know. So I would say under promise, over deliver. But it's almost out of your hands at some point, though, Chris. So like, let's just say you sell out of your mint or you launch and you sell out and the resale price starts going up, up and up. That's good for you for royalties if you have any. Or royalties could be dedicated to the the school of the gifted or whatever. But, um, you know, all of a sudden, like if it just starts climbing, it may, it may appear like, dude, who's this Chris guy? You know what I mean? All of a sudden, like the floor is five ETH. Like that's cool for holders, but now I could never get into that school. So how would you mitigate that? That's what I would ask you. You know, that's probably what you need to brainstorm. <laughs> You're looking most. too far ahead. I know. You're like, when it, when it works out really amazingly, yeah. then, but, then your core supporters can't afford it anymore. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. and that's why maybe you have multiple drops a year or something like that. Who knows? But I would say under promise over deliver, which is, um, 
you know, nothing we are, are aren't familiar with. And the community is the really, really biggest thing. If somehow all of this eliminated uh, the kind of community that you have, the way it is in the Future Pro group and your YouTube channel and, and everything else, then that would probably be like the biggest red flag you could ever see in your life if, if you weren't active in the Discord and engaging with people and had the team committed to the project like they are everything else. Yeah. I kind of look at it like if we're going to get into this, I need to treat everyone who's going to buy the NFT as a shareholder of this new entity. Yep. And I got to make sure the shareholders get their value in utility first, speculation second. No, it has percent. to have utility, utilitarian value to them so that they can better their lives. I don't want it to be all built on a puff of smoke and a hope and a wish and a dream. Exactly. I mean, that, that's exactly right. I would agree. On that note, Rich, this has been an informative, fun conversation. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really stoked for your, your success and, and just to understand who you are as a man and, and to, to be able to pivot as quickly as you've done is remarkable. It's something that I wish for everyone to be able to do because opportunity knocks all the time. Most of the times we don't hear it or we close a door on it. You, my friend, opened it, ran through, welcomed <laughs> it into your arms and hugged it and put it on its shoulder, <laughs> on your shoulders and celebrated it. Yes. So I'm, I'm just, I'm rooting for you. I, I, I wish that you have continued success as you climb the podcast charts worldwide and just dominate. Where can people find out more about what you're doing? NFTs for newbies anywhere. It's NFTs and then four and then newbies, N-E-W-B-I-E-S. And that's on YouTube. That's on our IG, Discord, all of it. Uh, and we can't wait to see you. Wonderful. Thank you very much for doing this convo with me. Thank you so much, Chris. This is Rich Cardona, and you're listening to The Future. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.